Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Bailey is tracked down for a short loss. Shamarco Thomas. It's like a missile. It's a heat-seeking missile to the football. Charles finding someone, directing his body, and trying to run through that person. An explosive safety. For some programs, maybe it doesn't mean as much. For this Syracuse program, it means a lot. What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Network, with episode five of the Believe in Syracuse podcast with my co-host, former Orange Safety Shamarco Thomas. Mr. Thomas, how the heck are you today? Blessed, man, and grateful, man. How are you? I am doing wonderful. It was a big win for Syracuse on Saturday over FCS Albany. We understand what the opponent was, but we will break it all down and what it means for the Orange going forward. But we can't skip our intro without bringing on internet sensation Kyle Leff, our producer extraordinaire. Mr. Kyle, how are you? I am doing wonderful. You know, calling a Sean Tucker big game feels good. It feels good to have gotten that one right. Right. So now basically he has to call that every game because if he doesn't, if he doesn't and Sean has a poor game, it's Kyle's fault for not calling it. If he had called it the week before Syracuse beats Rutgers. So obviously, obviously that was the problem. But now that we understand how much power we have, now we can use it wisely. So this, this is all good um, as, as far as I'm concerned. But before we get to that, We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on to start another football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. But let's get right into Syracuse versus Albany. Syracuse wins 62 to 24. They dominated right from the start. There was a very brief moment where Albany had a pick six on a pass from Tommy DeVito threw it a little bit too hard ball deflected up in the air was picked off and run back for a touchdown that cut the score to 14 to 10. And so, you know, obviously at that score it's close, but it was early. There was a very small, um, almost minute amount of hope on the Albany sideline and Syracuse quickly squashed that and dominated the whole game really wasn't even as close as 62 to 24, but Albany got a couple of scores late uh, against Syracuse's backups to slit trim the margin just a little bit, but otherwise it was a dominant performance as you would expect. The star of the day, however, was one Sean Tucker as he was in week one. The man, the man, absolutely. (laughs) Five total touchdowns, 132 yards rushing on just 13 carries, 121 yards receiving on just three receptions. Anytime you average over 40 yards a catch, that's pretty good. And as we mentioned, those five total touchdowns. So 253 yards of total offense, all purpose yards, and those five touchdowns. The five touchdowns were too short of the Syracuse single game record for most touchdowns responsible for the record 
Shamarco. Do you happen to know who holds it? Yeah, 44. That's what everyone thinks. That is actually not correct. Now, no. he, he has the most touchdowns for non-quarterbacks. So touchdowns responsible for includes passing touchdowns. So the record is actually Zach Mahoney. In 2016 against Pittsburgh, they had that crazy game where each team scored in the 60s or, or something. It, it was a ridiculous that. game. He had seven touchdowns responsible for between passing and rushing. But if you're taking passing touchdowns out of the equation, then you are absolutely correct. Number 44, Jim Brown had six touchdowns against Colgate in 1956. So that tells you the type of company that he's in. With those five total touchdowns, yes, it's an FCS opponent, but that does not happen on a weekly basis. Shamarco, what did you see from from Mr. Tucker in this game? Man, spectacular. He did what my man said. He went out there and dominated, showed him why they are FCS team. And, man, his skills is untangible, man. He showed us why he's probably one of the top draft picks going to come out this year, man. Like, What year he is? He's he's technically a freshman, even though it's his second year Ray, because of the Ray COVID. Freshman. Year. Ray, freshman. So he got one more year. You know what I'm saying? But this is come out year, man. I'm I'm proud of him because it's an amazing game, man. He was taking off, breaking. They were looking too easy out there for him. Absolutely. He had a 56-yard touchdown run, a 72-yard touchdown reception as his two biggest plays of the game. And I think that reception was was perhaps the most impressive of those plays that was right after Syracuse had a bad snap and Garrett Schrader had to dive on the ball. They were at third and 28, I believe screen pass and they went through a screen pass and, you know, he got a couple of blocks, made a couple guys miss. And next thing you know, he's, he's in the open field running away from everybody. Yeah. He'll be Shout out to Sean Tucker. He's a beast, beast. <laughs> and as we mentioned in previous episodes, the offense should be running through Sean Tucker. And I think this just solidified that fact. He is second in the ACC in rushing through three games. He has two 100-yard games out of the first three. And I think the only reason he doesn't have three 100-yard games is because they only gave him the ball 13 times in week two for some reason. Feed Hopefully. <laughs> that's right. Feed he. He needs to be fed. He is hungry. He is never satisfied. He is never not hungry. Give him the ball. Oh, yeah. um, he basically didn't play other than a series early in the second half. He didn't play most of the second half. And despite that, two hundred over 250 yards um, of offense accumulated by Sean Tucker. Quite the performance. One to remember. Um, I think if I'm looking back at kind of a somewhat recent performance that this kind of reminded me of, and obviously the competition level is quite different, but in 2003, Walter Reyes had four rushing touchdowns and a bunch of yards against Notre Dame in the final game of his career. Uh, Walter Reyes, one of the more underrated running backs in Syracuse history, I think, but that was, that was a, a big game for him for sure. Part of the reason that Sean Tucker was able to, have those big holes and, and pick up all of those yards was because of the play of the offensive line. Um, Shamarco, I want to start with, with you and just what your overall thought was from the offensive line. Yes. The competition level is what it is. You expect <laughs> them to dominate, but they did dominate. And that's what you wanted to see. Oh yeah, man. They played with great technique. No, I feel like the Albany had one great D lineman. I think it was 92. 
he made a couple of plays in the backfield. But besides that, man, the offensive line was great, man. They dominated like they're supposed to. And even threw the ball good. I seen a couple of deep passes. So he had they had the court both quarterback had a time in the pocket. So amazing games and kudos to the O-line. And not only did they rack up 286 yards of rushing as a team, 6.8 yards per carry as a team, but they gave up zero sacks to your point about the pass protection, which is a huge number for Syracuse, as we know from the offensive line the last two seasons. And uh, David Hale from ESPN, who covers the AZC for ESPN, uh, tweeted out an interesting stat regarding the offensive line. Through three games this season, Syracuse has allowed six sacks. Through three games last season, they had allowed 15. So that is obviously quite a huge difference. Now, in fairness, last year, Syracuse had played three ACC teams to start the season because of the, the, the COVID year and how that changed everything up. Whereas this year, they have a MAC team and an FCS team in those three games. So uh, th- that should be noted, but still... W- in the last two years, when Syracuse has played some of those teams, they have still had issues blocking, whether it's on the ground and opening up holes for the Sean Tuckers of the world or whether it is protecting their quarterback. So the fact that they have given up just six sacks in three games is a good thing, and they need that to continue for the rest of the season. Because Shamarco, as you know, when a defense can't get to the quarterback, that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on the secondary. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. You got to cover for longer, man. You get tired. Man, they caught wide receivers running all around. So, man, that's definitely a hard game. And with Albany's defense, <laughs> they needed pressure. They sure, they sure did. There's no question about that. Now, you mentioned the, the one of their defensive linemen who, who was getting into the backfield uh, a few times in this game and, and did create pressure on a few occasions, even though they didn't end up getting a sack. Now, Syracuse switched their starting center and their starting tackle in this game. Carlos Federello, who had been the starting center the first two games and was a starting center for Uh, most of the games last season and Aaron service, who was a starting right tackle last season and the starting right tackle for the first two games this year, they swapped. So Vettorello was starting at tackle service was starting at center where he started the entire 2018 season when Syracuse won 10 games, interesting little switch there. I didn't think service was bad in the middle, but when Albany was getting into the backfield, when they did get pressure on a few occasions, they had that one defensive lineman who who seemed to be giving them some fits. It yeah. seemed to be coming from the right side where Vettorello was. Now, spending time the last couple of years at center and then switching to guard is not an easy transition. Uh, you know, Shamarco, from, from your perspective, understanding the game, the difference between an interior offensive lineman and then moving out to tackle. It's definitely a difference, man. You protected by two guards, <laughs> so, so now I mean, it's not the same kind of spacing. It's, you know, it's a deep tackling side. He might not be as athletic as an outside linebacker or a DN guy. So, man, it's definitely a different change. You know, what I'm saying it's, he probably don't have to give back as much as a center, but at the outside tackle, man, you got to work. It's dudes with speed come off the edge fast. They got great get off. So it's a whole different technique. Absolutely, and the the defensive lineman we were we were talking about was Jared Verse is his name from from Albany. Uh, where's number ninety six? He had he only only ended up with four tackles in the game, but uh, he he did get into the backfield uh, on a I few like occasions that. in I that. Like one. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I, I think I think going forward, if they're going to keep this alignment 
of, of having service in the middle, which it sounds like that's where he's going to be. I think they got to figure out the right tackle position everywhere else. You feel pretty good about Matthew Bergeron has been really good at left tackle. Uh, Chris Bleich, the, the transfer from Florida has been everything that you'd expect um, at guard and you're getting Dakota Davis back to be your other guard. So they got to figure out the right tackle situation, whether that's moving Darius Tisdale out there with Dakota Davis coming back, whether it's Veterello improving from last week to this week, or whether it's going to one of the young guys that we haven't seen much of. I think that's the biggest the biggest weakness along the offensive line moving forward. They're going to attack it, too. They see it open from Albany. You know, the other defenses is ready, and they're excited. So they definitely got to get it right. There's no question about that. And we know that Liberty has had a good season so far. They are three and zero. they are Syracuse's oh. next opponent. So Syracuse is going to have to try to figure out what's going on with the right tackle spot uh, for the next game against Liberty. So not only is Liberty three and zero, but teams have struggled to score against them. Uh, 17 points is the most points that, that Liberty has given up in a game this year. They've only given up 37 points in three games, less than 13 points a game. Now the competition level has not been great, but that is definitely something that Syracuse needs to w- look at going forward. We'll dive deep dive more into Liberty um, in our next episode. Exciting news. The Believe in Syracuse podcast is partnering with PlayActionPools.com this season to bring some interactive fun to the sport we love most. You'll be able to get in on the action with our PlayActionPools.com football pick'em challenge, which is open to everyone. Here's how it works. Sign up for the contest, Believe Football Pick'em, at PlayActionPools.com, and then get your picks in each week. We're going to select the 10 highest profile games of the week between NFL and college football, Whoever gets the most picks correct each week will win a pair of electric sunglasses and a pair of DC shoes. Again, go to playactionpools.com and sign up for the contest Believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, Football Pick'em. And if you plan on hosting your own football contests, go to playactionpool.com today. They've got Survivor, Pick'em, as well as a cool sportsbook-style concept called Build Your Bankroll. Playactionpools.com your new home for all your office sports pools. But moving from the offensive line, staying with the offensive side of the ball at the quarterback position. We know Dino Baber said coming into this game, he wanted to make a decision afterwards about who the quarterback is going forward. Who's going to be the starter? No more two quarterback system. Get rid of that and make a decision on who the guy is going to be. What did you see out of Tommy DeVito? Let's start with him in this game. Uh, I think he had a good game. When he six for uh, nine with 147, uh, he threw that one interception, kind of threw the ball hard, but you receive it, supposed to catch the ball, man. And uh, I think he had a good game. He came back with a deep ball touchdown. And uh, the other dude, Schrader, he had a good game too. He was what, 11 for 15 for 190. He had a good game, but can we say the competition wasn't the same? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I feel like coach got a, a hard decision to make, but you know, I'm still blessed for my dog DeVito because he's an underdog. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, um, Schrader did add two rushing touchdowns as oh, yeah. well, but Tommy DeVito actually averaged more yards per carry, even though 
Schrader had um, a few more attempts in this game. As you mentioned, they both completed a high percentage of their passes. Uh, they both had a long touchdown pass. Schrader's was on a screen pass, uh, the 72-yarder that we noted uh, earlier from Sean Tucker. And then DeVito had the 73-yard bomb to Canadian freshman Damian Alford, who uh, we have just been hearing lots of great things behind the scenes in terms of what his potential is going to be flashed it a little bit there. Um, what I saw from, from both quarterbacks, I think was each kind of doing what it is that they do best. Tommy DeVito clearly has the better deep ball. He is going to be the better th pure thrower of the football. When you need someone to stick it into a certain spot, if you can give him protection, he's going to be able to do that. Garrett Schrader, on the other hand, when the pocket is not perfect, when it collapses and you have to scramble and, and make a play in a broken type of situation, Garrett Schrader as much as DeVito is ahead of Schrader as a pure passer, Schrader is that much ahead of DeVito as a playmaker in those scramble type of situations. DeVito still has his struggles when he has to go outside the pocket, throw the ball on the run. Schrader is a little bit better in those situations and then better at, at turning up field and picking up yards with the ball in his hand a little bit more comfortable in those situations. So it's going to be really interesting because I think both have very clear strengths that contrast weaknesses for the other one. And I'm not sure that I saw anything in this game specifically that led me to say, yup, that's the guy for sure. I think it's really a preference thing. Did you like Tommy DeVito coming in? If you did, I don't think this changed your mind. Were you ready to move on and go with Garrett Schrader coming into this game? I don't think it changed your mind. So I think there's a little bit of a preference in terms of, do you prefer more of a dual threat type of a guy? Do you think Schrader deserves a shot because you feel like you know what Tommy DeVito is? Or are you still in the camp of DeVito's the better passer? We need to figure out the offensive line situation. And then DeVito will play better uh, as that improves. So that it's a really interesting dynamic. And I kind of want to bring Kyle in here to get a third person's perspective on yeah. this. Because Shamarco has already said he wants, he no, thinks he, that it should know, be DeVito. That's his guy. Uh, <laughs> Kyle, before before I make my official uh I guess, uh, proclamation on who I would go with the rest of the season. Uh, I want to bring you in and get your thoughts. Yeah. So I, if we had Garrett Schrader last year, he would have been the starter because we had our own line was destroyed. I mean, 15 sacks through three games is not ideal. So if we had him last year, he would have fit better, but because of what we saw with DeVito and Tucker together, the two of them, it worked best that Schrader and DeVito are going to have a lot more time in the pocket based on the O lines work and we need a better passer of the ball, who, as you said, is Tommy DeVito, that if the O-line gets banged up, I understand putting Schrader in as your starter. But DeVito as a passer of the ball is better than Schrader. And that's what matters most right now with the O-line you have. But the personnel across the board, you need a better pure passer of the ball, which is Tommy DeVito. He didn't do enough to throw himself out of the competition for this position. He, I agree with Marco, he's got to stay in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just just to be different, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate on this. One. Uh, um, I mean, we can't all agree. I mean, how 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 much fun is that? No one's going to you know enjoy listening to that. So we got to have a little disagreement. Right. So um, the uh, for the record, I do think DeVito is going to end up getting the start. I do think that's where Bebo's uh, Babers is going to go. He's going to go with DeVito. But there's there's still part of me that is intrigued by the ceiling of of Garrett Schrader in that he is better in those broken situations 
And while I don't think he'll ever be a, as as good of a pure thrower of the football as DeVito is, I do think that there is the opportunity for him to be better in that area than what we've seen in the first few first few times out there. Now, the good news is he has completed a high percentage of his passes. Not like he's completing forty five percent of his passes. You know, he he completed seventy three percent of his passes against Albany. I understand it's Albany, but he completed seventy three percent of his passes in the game before that. Um, even in the limited time he was out there, I believe he completed over sixty percent of his passes. So. There's there's a high ceiling there, I think, because of his dual threat nature. And so part of me wants to go forward with that, give him a shot, see if he can get into rhythm and, you know, maybe getting a couple of games under his belt, getting more comfortable with the offense that some of those deficiencies we see as a thrower would start to get better to the point where you wouldn't consider it as much of a weakness as perhaps you do now. So I think that's where the argument is for Garrett Schrader um, is, and I know there's, there's some in the fan base that think DeVito is what he is. He's never going to get any better and and there's no point in moving forward. I don't think that it's ever fair to sort of cap someone at what they are is there's always room for improvement. But and there's always opportunities to do that. But um, I certainly understand why some are, are intrigued by Schrader and want to see what an offense would look like with him running the show um, over the course of the rest of the season. I like I like Schrader. You know, it's not, I didn't know he was the athletic. He made a lot of plays. But I just feel like, man, it's DeVito time. It's not to prove people wrong. It's to prove itself right. You know what I'm saying? How many years Schrader got left? In this, in college. I think he's got two more years of eligibility after this. Yeah, a long time. I feel like if they give the video a chance, two or three games, and he don't pan out, then that's when you let Schrader take over and show the potential now. But right now, I feel like it's DeVito's time, man. He better take full advantage of it. I also want to add in, if I can, which is the DeVito-Taj Harris connection is the best on the team, that they work best together. And, I mean, we discussed it a little bit. Um, it's been discussed over social media with Taj missing the game and we'll chat about that later, but the two of them, like he zones in on Taj and they work really well together, but I don't think you break up the band, the band yet. I think you keep them together, let them work because that's our best deep threat is Taj Harris, their best receiver. I think you trust the connection the two of them have with the timing together. We're just working together for years now. I think you got to trust that. Two points yep. to that one, one to support you. And then, and then one to um, not support to sort of be a detriment <laughs> to that. Uh, the, first, I need to correct myself. Garrett Schrader <laughs> has three years of eligibility left, not two. Oh, so, um, man, so, he got, he got so he's, time, he's man. definitely has time. Um, but th- the first point to, to your point about uh, Taj Harrison and that being the, the go-to connection in the passing game. Similarly, as we have talked about, and Shamarco has mentioned, I think, 550 times at least in the first four episodes rpo rpo (laughs) there is no doubt that the the chemistry and the decision making with tommy devito and those rpos with him and tucker that is uh very strong and so if you're going to use the rpo and you're going to center your offense around sean tucker there is certainly a strong argument to be made for keeping tommy devito as your quarterback because of that the other part is though one of the criticisms of Tommy DeVito is that he locks in on his number one receiver too much and he doesn't go through his progressions. And so, yes, the connection with him and, and Taj Harris is great, but if Harris is taken away on a, on a play, that's when he struggles. And that's where Garrett Schrader uh, could potentially be more effective. Uh, either way, I think you've got two guys that are clearly division one caliber power five caliber quarterbacks. Right. And um, you know, whoever, 
whoever you throw out there, it seems like the team has confidence in. And I think that's a good thing. So not we'll, Australia too, man. No disrespect. I just I go with the underdog for some reason. But there's there's no disrespect either way, you know, whoever we pick. Um, and and we know Syracuse fans, whether you want to see Tommy DeVito, whether you want to see Garrett Schrader, if the other guy is picked, you're going to be hoping that they prove you wrong. We, we definitely know that. But Kyle brought up Taj Harris. And I want to talk about him a little bit, not specifically because of anything that he did uh, during the game against Albany, because he missed the game, but because of other guys stepping up in his absence. And I think this was the perfect game if Taj Harris had to be out for a game. Um, he sat out with an injury, an undisclosed injury injury and uh, both Harris and Babers are optimistic that he'll be able to go in the next game against Liberty, but that has not been officially decided yet. Uh, but you saw some performances from some other guys step up in his absence. As we mentioned, Sean Tucker had three catches for 120 yards and a touchdown. Damian Alford had the 73 yard touchdown catch. Courtney Jackson had three catches for 47 yards. Uh, walk on Devon Cooper came in and had three catches. Anthony Queeley had a couple of catches, including uh, a 70 yard touchdown that got called back due to a penalty. So, uh, Shamarco, I'm curious what you saw from the wide receiving core, considering they were down uh, their top receiving threat. Man, they was ready when their time was called and took advantage of it, man. That's all I can say, really, man. I'm proud of them guys. They made plays when they had to make plays. And, man, like you said, they, they start receivers down, and all them boys picked up they, their stats and their roles. Absolutely. And I think the fact that Queeley was able to make uh, pick up some yards after the catch – um, Luke Benson, who's the starting tight end, had two catches. They actually did throw the ball Hold to the up. tight end. Hold up. But then he got hurt. Get hurt. That's what why they haven't a- been throwing to him right there because they knew as soon as they do, down he goes. I mean, you can't. Is he okay? Is it a knee injury? Is he okay? I see him with down. I, is he right? I, we, we haven't heard anything official. My, my guess is that he probably doesn't go this week. But um, it's, I mean, you start out the first drive. That's your fault. It's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's my fault. Oh, man. It's it's just like at home with my wife. Everything's my fault. Why? I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, you just you felt bad because it was it was a good first series. They ran the ball. They came out throwing the ball. They were hitting uh, the tight end on some quick outs and, and clearly targeting Luke Benson early to try to get him involved in the game plan. And then he makes his second catch and he gets hurt. Yeah. Man, you can't catch a break. Um, but, you know, Max Mang got his first career reception in this game. He had a 12-yard reception. He actually was open over the middle um, on what ended up being Garrett Schrader's interception. And Schrader just uh, overthrew him a little bit. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how the tight end position goes. But it was encouraging, I thought, to see, you know. Sometimes uh, I don't get hurt and caught up, I thought of you. <laughs> Oh man, it's unbelievable. No, unbelievable. No. <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, but nine different pass catchers uh, in this one for Syracuse, which is which is good. Um, but before we get to our, our final topic, you know, I kind of mentioned it a little bit there, and I, I did want to bring this up. The penalty situation. Yeah. They set a record for number of penalties and penalty yards in a game at Syracuse. 16 penalties, 164 yards. That is a lot. That is ridiculous. Um, I mean, I understand it's an FCS opponent and, you know, there could be some, uh, you know, a little bit of, of lack of focus in certain situations, but um, 
you know, the, the it's to me, the, the ones that are the killer are the pre-snap penalties on offense. Yeah. You know, it, it's not really the defense special teams is getting a couple, you know, a block in the back here or there. You kind of expect that, but it's the, the false starts. It's the illegal formation. It's the, um, you know, the holdings, the call that, that have big plays come back as a result. Um, you know, speak to penalties and how much having that many penalties can can hurt your team. I don't know if you've been on a team that's had penalty issues like that, but, you know, just h- how much it hurts not only the whole team, but specifically your offense from being able to get into a rhythm when you keep having to start in first and 15 and first and 20. First of all, they better be thankful that they play Albany. <laughs> penalty costs you games, you know, and that many penalties. I didn't know they had that many penalties. They broke a record. That's not, no, that's not good, man. They better give back to solid grounds, get back to the small things, techniques. Coach need to be doing hard counts, doing everything in practice to get them right because at the end of the day, that will cost them a lot of games this season, man. They're lucky they play Albany, man. They got to get it right, man. The offensive line got to hold each other accountable. Like, it's not all about just the coaches. The offensive line got to hold each other accountable. The quarterback got to hold the offensive line accountable. That is, it's all about team. Coaches can do so much, but the team got to hold each other accountable. So that's, that's no good. That's no bueno. <laughs> absolutely absolutely and you know the the thing i'll say from from a coaching perspective it's not like the offensive line coach is saying okay um every third play i want you guys to hold and we'll see how much we get away with it you know that that's not what they're teaching them right uh, so we uh, we know that um so it's it's up to you know both sides to figure out what the situation is there but certainly that was a huge part of this game we know penalties were an issue against Rutgers, even though there weren't nearly this many, but they came at some really, really tough spots for Syracuse to put them behind the eight ball. Uh, we know that in previous years, they've been an issue uh, under Dino Babers as well. So this, uh, that number, uh, you better hope was an anomaly because if that becomes a consistent thing, double oh, digit penalties every game, it's a wrap. can't win games like that against uh, quality competition. Even going to be out there for real. <laughs> And speaking of that defense, another good game for them. I know they gave up a couple of garbage touchdowns uh, late in the game, but um, only they did have eight sacks, which was, I think, second most second most in a game in in program history, tied for for second most in a game in program history. um, They had a bunch of tackles for loss. They really were getting after the quarterback. Uh, Mikel Jones was all over the place again. Uh, he led the team with seven tackles and he didn't play for, for quite a bit of the second half. Cody Roscoe off the bench with three sacks uh, was, was huge. They had uh, six different players record a sack, um, almost had a couple other fumbles, almost had an interception at one point, but uh, only forced the one turnover. Uh, Shamarco, what did you see from what the defense was able to do in this game? Man, they was eating, man. My guy didn't get a pick six, but he's still balling. But, man, they just balling out, man. And I seen him in the backfield every play, making big plays. Only thing I say they need to work on because the next team's going to see that is them screens. Them little number 82 was getting little free breaks on them screens. So I feel like they got to work on that. I feel like they attacked right, but now you got to work on your screens and playing with angles and, you know what I'm saying, doing things right. I feel like they was – Playing better than their competition, but if another team like a Clemson or something see them screens open, yeah, hey, them things going to the crib. So now they got to work on the things, the little weaknesses. But man, I feel like they had a solid game. Guys was making plays as they supposed to, and they showed what type of competition that Albany was. 
Now, to defend your prediction from the last episode, you said there would be a pick six in this game, and there was. It's just the wrong team, but you did correctly predict a pick (laughs) six. So we'll give you credit for that. But um, I want to harp on your point uh, about the screens because I think it's a good point. And wide receiver screens especially can be very difficult to defend. As a defensive back, what are the keys that you have to do in terms of reading the the screen initially and then what you have to do whether you're a corner or a safety in order to try to limit the gains that, that the offense gets on those plays man the corner gotta attack man either i don't know what kind of defense they run cover two man it should be a blow up he should be able to read that number two and come off of it if it's cover cover three or cover one man he should attack at the point stay outside leverage and that safety for the alley and know that the back is coming from the inside inside man it's playing your leverage knowing that your other guy is coming and I feel like they were just shooting their shots and not playing. Everybody was just going everywhere because that's Albany. You can make up mistakes and do that. But you play a team like Clemson. They got a, a gadget receiver. And we a corner comes inside and the safety comes inside too. And the receiver gets outside, it's going to be touchdown. This is a four. It's, it's a difference between a four three receiver and a, I don't know what they run over there. <laughs> Five three. Uh, I mean, yeah, I've 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 heard a rumor that Clemson's wide receivers are a little faster than Albany's. Just that's a rumor I've heard. That. So we'll have to you definitely know that. It's true. That's that's something to keep an eye on. Well, definitely, sure. just play angles, man, and trust your teammate, man. Corner guy play outside, attack the man, attack the receiver. He knew that screen was coming, and that's what young guys got to get into too. Film study, you know, what I'm saying film study. The the, the number two receiver's foot is off. You know, what I'm saying his outside foot is up, man. You know the screen coming, but. That's what they got to do, man. Absolutely. And let's just get our final thoughts on Syracuse's 62 to 24 win over Albany. Let's start with you, Kyle, internet sensation extraordinaire. Um, Your final thoughts on Syracuse's win over Albany and what it means going forward. I mean, the final thoughts for me are when you average 14 yards per pass and nearly seven per rush, you've found some sort of rhythm somewhere on the offense. You have something going for you. So if they don't keep this going, if it doesn't last next next game against Liberty, uh, who are going to put up points, uh, they have a great quarterback. It's it's going to be trouble town for whoever whichever quarterback starts, especially that if it ends up being Schrader who starts and we don't score a lot next game against Liberty, he's going to be thrown to the wolves for the fans. I mean, we know we're a rabid fan base, but that it might not end well for him. Yes, absolutely. Shamarco, your final thoughts on Syracuse's win over Albany and, and what it means going forward. Man, great game, first of all, from offense and defense, even a little bit special teams. The punt return had a great return. They got called back. But, man, don't get too comfortable. Don't get too excited, man. Erase that game, like I always say. I don't think you should celebrate that game because it was like a preseason game. Now you got to get back and hone in. Offense got to hone in on these penalties. Defense got to get that mentality of getting turnovers, man. They're going crazy on the sacks, and they just got to keep getting, keeping the momentum. And special teams, hey, y'all got to get something happening, man. Y'all got to get something happening this week because, like I said, Liberty is a different caliber team. Even though they're a lower division in them, they're going to come to play. They're going to come to play. They're going to see the weaknesses. They're going to study film, and they're going to come and attack. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll add my final thought here is that I think how you view this team kind of has to shift away. Everyone wants to compare it to 2018, right? Because that was the year that, that everything clicked under Dino Babers. They won 10 games and that team won 10 games because it had an opportunistic defense 
and a really good offense that made big plays all over the place and, and against lesser competition, lesser defenses, um, even at the power five level, unless you were an elite defense, they basically move the ball at will on you. This is not that team. If they were to win seven, eight, nine games, they're going to win it a completely different way. They're going to win it with elite defense, with a really strong running game, and then play action off of that rushing attack. And I think that's true regardless of who the quarterback is. And I think when you're viewing this team and how good or not good it is, too often I think that there is a stigma that if your offense isn't scoring 40 points a game, well, your team's not very good. And and that's not necessarily the case with this team. They need to be an average offensive team with this above average defense that we've seen. And if they can do that, then you've got a team that can be good enough to get to a bowl game, win somewhere in the six to eight game range. And then I think you feel good about the direction of the program going forward. That was perfect. <laughs> that'll, that'll do it for episode five of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online. For Shamarco Thomas and Kyle Leff, I'm Mike McAllister, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.